Welcome back to Cinema Adventure, a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a film. This week we're talking about Wes Anderson's film Rushmore. This is the second in our series of special bonus episodes, The Wes Wednesdays. Uh, I'm Aiden Walker and I'm joined by the wonderful Blake Peterson. Hey, what's up? How's it going? <laughs> it's going pretty well. <laughs> How are you, dude? I'm, I'm all right. I'm very warm. I had bowl of soup and then now i'm drinking a coffee so it's just a lot of warmth in my body I'm wearing it, a sweater as well so yeah it's really really cold out there today it's very cold it's nippy haven't felt it though because i've just been constantly warm all day long i was in my bed earlier today just under my big pendleton blanket oh pe- just, thanks for that little are they gonna give us money oh no that? sorry uh, <laughs> uh um i take it back under my warm generic branded blanket um <laughs> My very warm blanket, and I was just watching YouTube videos, and I was As like, then you texted, and you were like, do you want to do the episode early? And I went, uh, <laughs> I mean, I do, early I want to do o'clock. it, but yeah, well, you know. No, I was like, it's one of those days. Up. I was going to get up early today, I set my alarm for like 8.30, I was like, I'm going to start studying for my final, I'm going to have a productive morning, and then I didn't. I like, pressed news like four times, and then I went on BuzzFeed for a long period of time didn't actually start studying until noon so wow shout out to me for being terrible <laughs> is buzzfeed paying you to say that i you know i wish they were i wish they would like hire me i feel like i could you know pull out those lists anywhere, you could start like a hit video series like that guy who, who drinks wine oh yeah is he the one that, that gets drunk and then rants? complains yeah, yeah. whine about it that guy could Damn. be like him but you Should've could pitch that first you could talk about like i don't know terrible movies yeah i could <laughs> i would love it <laughs> let's do it Let's do it. Have you? How, what have you been watching recently besides Rushmore? Um, I just watched Mildred Pierce with Joan Crawford, which is so good. Forgot how great that movie was. Um, I watched that. I'm still watching The French Lieutenant's Woman with Meryl Streep. Saw Coco. Um, Coco was fun. Yeah. No, it's really good. I don't know. I've watched a lot. What have you watched lately? I don't want to list all mine. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, like one a day for me. What? Jeez. Earlier this week, I am embarrassed to say for the first time, I watched Singing in the Rain. The first time? First time. Wow. And I loved it. It was so, so good. good. I was kind of sad that I didn't grow up watching it. Oh, it's so great. I feel like if I were a little kid watching that, I would be obsessed. Oh, I was obsessed know? with it too. The yeah. first time I watched it, I watched it. Like I literally, the second it ended, I restarted it and watched it again because I just was like, want to continue that, that feel good feeling. They it's very good. You. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Well, shall we uh, jump in? Should we do I it? I guess so. Sure. Talk about Rushmore? Yeah. So this was Wes Anderson's second film. It yes. came out in 1998. It was co-written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson. Wow. Classic, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> stars Jason Schwartzman, who plays a, what, he's like a high school sophomore, right? He's 15 years old. 15 years old. Um, Has it all. He's got it, he's got it going. <laughs> he plays a character named Max Fisher and he goes to Rushmore Academy. I don't know. I wouldn't say there's like a super structured plot yeah. to this movie. It's, it's kind of like Bottle Rocket in that yeah. way. It just kind of happens. Some things kind of <laughs> happen. Max is a kid. He goes to Rushmore Academy. He isn't a super rich kid like the rest of the kids there. His father's a barber, but he lies and tells everybody that his dad's a neurosurgeon. He's he's the founder of basically every club at the academy. He's super hyper-involved in extracurriculars, but his grades are awful. Mm. There's like a great scene where one of the headmasters is saying, you know, oh, he's he's our worst student. But he's like involved in everything. He's definitely like furthered the greatness of the school and done all these kind of great things. Anyway, he falls in love with a teacher because it's a, you know, it's like a grade school through mm. high school kind of combined thing. He falls in love with a first grade teacher named Rosemary Cross, who's played by Olivia Williams. <laughs> 
So he totally falls head over heels for her and she's not having it because he's 15 years old. And at the same time, there's another character who is involved in the school because his twin boys go there and he's played by uh, our good friend, Bill Murray. Yeah, I love him. Anyway, so Bill Murray also falls in love with Rosemary Cross and then at this love triangle where no love is ever reciprocated begins. <laughs> Max throws a few plays. They get into some hijinks. His bike gets wrecked. And then they dance at the end. Is that good? Yeah, that was a good good summary. There's, yeah. yeah, it's one of those movies where yeah, it unfolds pretty realistically. So it's not like complicated. It's not like jumping around in time. You only have like a handful of central characters. So... Yeah. And you're yeah. not trying to puzzle it out or figure out what the next big plot yeah. point is going to be. It's just kind of like, you know, multiple days in the life. It's kind of like Lady Bird in that way. Yeah. We were just talking about Lady Bird. Yeah. Yeah. No, this one's definitely a little more stylized than Lady Bird, but yeah, comparable in, in a couple ways for sure. I like how this movie's structured a lot. I like the, the ways that he is this playwright and he makes these really funny plays, but the film is structured in a way where... Anytime there's a jump in the month, you know, anytime they go from month to month, it shows a curtain and it says the name of the month and the curtain parts as if you're looking at the next act in a play, which is just the next act of the movie. I think it does that three times. Yeah. But it's... No, I always like, I kind of like that device weirdly, like just like the very like specific, like this is when it is. Because like sometimes you never really know long a period of time is with the movie, so... Wes Anderson orients you in in periods of time really well i think Mm -hmm. it like specific not like oh this is the 1940s like you know this clearly (laughs) takes place in the 90s uh well i guess it isn't super clear that it takes place in the 90s right it doesn't really look like it but it does say it it does say it on like a yearbook at one point you're like okay it's 1997 or something yeah but yeah this this movie really could have taken place at any point from i don't know like the 70s to the Mm -hmm. 90s i'd guess he definitely orients you in the season really well most of the movie was filmed in texas oh really and i'm curious because during the this the bits of the film where it's fall mm-hmm. they have big leaf piles that have been raked up and then they're burnt is oh. that like a normal thing do, did you notice that i didn't notice i don't oh. notice anything oh, man. <laughs> they were like burning the leaf piles mm. it was like why don't you just i mean i guess it was the 90s people probably aren't composting in the 90s and that's uh, probably true not in, in uh, <laughs> texas yeah yeah no for me i feel like this is um i mean i know like bottle rocket is considered to be anderson's debut but i feel like this is more of a debut because it has a lot more of the like quote-unquote anderson aesthetic that we've come to know so yeah it feels more like his first like this is like really what he wants to make is this movie and this one doesn't so much play with all the really hyper symmetrical shots that he likes to do later on it doesn't do a ton of like the swivel camera you know Mm -hmm. uh it's like a a little bit it's like a tease of that I think mostly what it hits that is then touched on and again and again in his later movies is music and yeah. the dialogue. Because there's there's more choppy, like every line is a joke style dialogue in this film than there was in Bottle Rocket. Mm-hmm. And it has that kind of plucky music that's, I don't know, it sounds like somebody's playing um, like a harpsichord. Yeah. You know, it, this pretty similar to stuff that they play in uh, Grand Budapest Hotel even. Mm-hmm. So they it, it strikes those... Um, those kind of tones yeah and it has like a lot of those two like the overhead shots where they'll i don't know just like look down at like food or like stuff on like a desk table and almost just like admiring the i don't know just the shapes and the way they all play off each other into almost like a overhead still life and like 
even like there's one part where like you see rosemary and herman like just walking down like a street or something but the way the camera's framed is so anderson's so specific in trying to make it look like a painting or look like some kind of photo in a magazine that like you do get kind of those sorts of tastes but i feel like weirdly those have kind of become his signature but like in a way I think because people have tried to emulate it a little bit in, like, independent film, and it has, like, this definitely, like, this twee indie aesthetic that, like, kind of irritates me. Like, it's hard for me to, like, get in the headspace of 1998 when, like, that wasn't super common then. Because I feel like now it's been done a lot, and, like, Anderson's also continued to do it. That I think I've lost a little bit of that appreciation, but, yeah, like, you can't admire, like, for the most part, like, how revolutionary that probably was. Yeah, I like I like how composed his stuff is and specifically how he does it for Wes Anderson. Everything is organized, right? You Mm. look at a table and there's pencil, pencil case, notebook and like protractor. And they're all (laughs) laid out in like the most perfect way possible. And it's, you know, it's not meant to be realistic. It's like very stylized. And then of course all the shots are composed in that same way. And yeah, I get what you're saying with it being irritating. And I think, uh, I think part of it for me, the irritation comes from seeing other directors try to emulate it exactly. because they do it poorly or they do it in a way that is like, oh, okay, you're just trying to be Wes Anderson. I don't know. Did you ever see the movie Submarine? Did you um, ever see that? I did not. It was directed by uh, Richard uh, Iowade from... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That movie kind of tries to be like Wes anderson yeah. in a way. I didn't, I didn't love that movie. That movie's really similar to Rushmore now that I think oh, about it, actually. Yeah. Not my favorite, but... <laughs> He's a good director. No, oh, yeah. No, he is definitely comparable because I saw his movie, The Double, with like Jesse Eisenberg and Mia Wasikowska, and he has like that similar liking of very well-composed shots, and everything feels very immaculate in that way. And I think he does like a good job. Maybe a little derivative of Anderson, but yeah, definitely comparable. What do you feel about the Max character? Like, how did you respond to him? I don't identify with him <laughs> at all. He's just... He's just so unbelievable, you know? It's like you've never seen a character ever try so hard. He really is trying, and he he really believes everything that he says, even though so often it is entirely ridiculous. And I mean, I, I think a lot of that is just the script trying to make him seem like a 15-year-old who's struggling and yeah. is depressed and is trying to figure out kind of how to act, what it means to be a person in a place. He, you know, he's very controlling. Everything has to go his way. That's why he directs plays and he gets punched in the face by one of his actors (laughs) at one point because he's trying to boss him around too much. But I don't know. Yeah, I think he's, he's just way too uptight for me to feel like connected with him. But I also kind of like that he's the protagonist and he's not like a hero. Yeah. You follow him and he does develop. He does do some, he is better by the end of the movie, not Mm -hmm. significantly better, but better. No, like, I couldn't decide how much I liked him because I felt like I knew what Anderson was trying to do. He's trying to, you know, paint this character who he might be, like, really intelligent in so much of what he does, but he still has, like, the emotional maturity of a 15-year-old. And so a lot of what he does is pretty reckless, like, in terms of, like, how he treats others. He's very self-involved, and, I mean, obviously, like, I honestly couldn't stand how much... I don't know if he, like, harassed Rosemary necessarily, but just, like, the way he was so unrelenting and trying to insinuate himself into her life, like, drove me crazy. I think I but, think he was definitely harassing her. No, I would definitely. Me just, like, just yeah. let her say no and move on. And I also didn't like, because there's, like, a part in the movie where he finds out that Rosemary and Herman, like, are dating, and they kind of do these, like, little mini revenges, and then Max takes it too far and, like, tells Herman's wife, like, oh, your husband's cheating on you, which is, like... I mean, like, you want those things to be known, but at the same time, 
it's very reckless of him. And so he does a lot of things like I get that Anderson's trying to show like a 15 year old is not thinking about what they're doing, but it's also just driving me crazy. (laughs) He was destroying so much throughout the movie. I think it's funny just how reactionary Bill Murray's character is too, because Uh he he, reacts in the exact same ways. He does the same stuff that Max does and he's, you know, 50 years old, right? Yeah. I, I do actually enjoy the, the one thing about their two characters is that they're both at trying times in their lives, right? He's 50. He's got the midlife crisis going on. That's clearly hitting him hard and he's like struggling and like going through the divorce, all that just clearly. I mean, it, it's one of the first scenes in the movie you see that it's insinuated that his wife is cheating on him yeah. with another guy. And then Max is coming into adulthood, whereas this guy is like so firmly in adulthood, but then there's still kind of these dramatic things happening in his life. Mm-hmm. I like I like the way that the two characters play off of each other. And uh, Rosemary says a really interesting thing to him, to Max, when he like sneaks into her house on the ladder like a creep, where she, she says that, oh, Max, you and uh, Herman Bloom, the two of you are perfect for each other or something <laughs> like that. It's, it's really good. I like the way that their points in life are mirrored and reflected in each other. Yeah, no, you can tell that Herman definitely sees a lot of himself in Max. So I like how there are those parallels between the characters. And I really like Rosemary in general. Like, I feel like the way she's she's kind of treated it almost as an object by both Herman and Max, which drove me nuts because, I mean, she's, you know, this intelligent woman who is a really interesting character. You know, she's a young widow and she's a teacher and is really sensitive. I think she's very well drawn. So, like, that irritated me, like, how much she was just kind of jostled around by these two dudes. But I really like Williams's performance. I like the way her cheeks are always kind of, like, rosy red, like... Even though I feel like she almost has this weird Victorian look like you could picture her in a period piece. But then like because of that, like it almost humanizes her in a way that makes her seem very down to earth and maybe even younger than she is. So I definitely like her performance here. Yeah, she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I think she's my favorite character. Oh, for film, sure. Definitely. Yeah, which is like why I got so mad that she has to go through all this stuff just because these two yeah, men you totally, think she's great. You totally sympathize with her. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> it's like these two annoying dudes. God. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of annoying treatment, I also got irritated at um, how Max treats this character named Margaret Yang, who goes to the high school he attends after getting kicked out of Rushmore. And she's kind of painted as his character is like, this one romance with your teacher won't work out, but there's this girl on the side who's like always going to be there for you, like no matter what, which is so dumb. And like it is nice because like at one point, like she tells him like, you've treated me horribly. So that's nice. But yeah, the same time, like the female characters are defined a lot by... Max and Herman, which is frustrating. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's just like a datedness too. Because I think, like, does I think Max even does the classic thing where like he tells Margaret, like, you'd look better if you weren't wearing your glasses, which is like the worst. Does he really? The I miss that. Trope. Yeah. Yikes. I don't think he like says that exact thing, but like has the whole, the whole like you'd look better if you did this, and I always hate that. Because that's like a weird like recurring trope too in a lot of movies that involve teenagers. So it's annoying to see it pop up here, but. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, there is one thing going for this movie, and we mention this anytime we talk about teenagers and uh, movies. These teenagers look like teenagers, man, and they're yeah, in high school. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> they nailed that. So, way to go, casting director. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah, very nice. I always appreciate, even if like the teen movie's not great, like it's nice that they tried a little bit harder to do it. And I didn't realize how young Schwartzman was in this. Like he was only, I think, like seventeen when he was cast. Wow. I feel like he looks a little older. Like I kept thinking, like, oh, maybe. They put the person next to him on a stool to make them look taller or whatever. Oh, yeah. I just, He's got, like, yeah. way too much facial hair going on to be yeah. 15. 
Seriously. And it's weird to see somebody with such an adult-looking face with, like, the braces yeah. like, strapped in. And, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> jarring, but, I mean, mostly convincing. Yeah. Unless the camera gets too close and you see that stubble and you go, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> too far. Why don't we do some fun facts? Great. With Blake. Fun facts with Blake. My favorite segment. Fun fact is if you notice when Max is giving a speech to his class when he first moves into his second high school, um, if you look in the corner, you might see Alexis Bladell from Gilmore Girls. I don't know if that's how you say her name because I've never seen her in anything. But <laughs> Alexis Bladell from Gilmore Girls is just playing one of the students. So that's like a fun. I like saw her because I like recognized her. And I thought, oh, is she going to become a character? And no, it's just like pre-fame, I guess. So... Wow. Fun for her. That high school was actually one that Anderson attended when he was younger. He was, like, I guess looking for high schools that might be fitting in. His mom was like, what about your high school? Like, it's good location. It looks pretty nice. Like, just pick that one. And so he did. So Anderson was a really big fan of the New Yorker film critic Pauline Kael, who, even though she retired from film criticism around 1991, he really, really wanted her to see it. And so he held a private screening just for her. At 98, and like at that time, she was like almost 80 years old and was like battling Parkinson's disease. Oh, man. And I guess when it was over, she told them she didn't even know what to make of it. Like she didn't even like lie and be like, oh, it was great. Like she just did the Pauline Kale thing and was just honest. So that's good. Um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Also, just shout out to Pauline Kale, great critic. Everyone, please read her reviews. She's so underrated. Murray really wanted to do this movie when he read the script. He thought it was like one of the best scripts he had ever really read, so he offered to actually do it for free. And so, like, throughout filming, because he was so smitten with it, he was, like, really accommodating. And, I mean, Anderson was a pretty new director at that time, and so he was, like, still a little bit nervous to even be directing Bill Murray, but Murray was really supportive throughout it. And in general, like, we should touch on the fact that this was the movie that kind of started to help Murray transition more into independent filmmaking. Like, he kind of became big in that part of the industry, after this so this was definitely influential for him not that this is an indie film but he was in lost in translation not long after this movie. yeah he's in that and then he's in like broken flowers um, i haven't seen that what oh it's that? great yeah it's a jim jarmusch movie okay it's great so it helped him kind of make that bit of a transition and then i didn't really realize i don't know this is as much as a fun fact but i didn't realize like because jason schwartzman is so you do kind of associate him with wes anderson they i just assumed they were friends before but i guess they actually were didn't know each other at all, and he like auditioned for the role just like anybody else would, and like because of that, they ended up kind of becoming friends. Because I he co-wrote like the Digiling Limited, right? So I think he might have. Yeah, so I guess like stroke of luck that they ended up getting along so well. Hmm. Yeah, and then Bill Murray, the kids who played his sons, he thought they were really annoying, just like his character does in the movie. And so, like in the scenes where he's like lashing out at them or insulting them, like those were mostly just improvised, and Bill Murray just saying what he felt so good for him and then oh if you God. notice he wears the same suit throughout the entire movie he just like changes his shirt and tie a couple times but everything else remains the same so those are my fun facts those are great <laughs> well, hey you. i've got a couple actually that i can add on to there it. some fun facts with aiden we talked in the bottle rocket episode about wes anderson's good friend deepak palana i think is how you say his name the the man who worked for the cosmic cup cafe yeah. in dallas and uh they became friends, and Mr. Palana has had several cameos and in 
many Wes Anderson movies, but in this one he plays Mr. Adams, who's the groundskeeper at Rushmore. Mm-hmm. And there's a great scene where he almost gets run over by Bill Murray mm-hmm. after Max cuts Bill Murray's character's brakes in his car. Mm-hmm. And he has to drive it onto the the lawn. So that's a fun one that he just, he's there. He's in a ton of Wes Anderson movies. And then the other one, I guess, I don't know if this is so much a nod or I don't, I don't know how related it is, but you know, one of his later movies was The Life Aquatic, which has a lot of references to Jacques Cousteau and mm. like sea travel and all that kind of stuff. And the, one of the main plot points in the movie is Max having this book from the library that's a Jacques Cousteau book. Uh-huh. And it has a quote that's been written in it by Rosemary. Mm. Or no, it was written by her late husband, I believe. Oh, okay. But it was, yeah. Huh. So is that, and then apparently, I didn't find out more about this, but I will bring it up again on a later episode when it's relevant. But apparently there's a load of uh, Peanuts references throughout Wes Anderson's oh, films. Really? Like he really likes Charles Schultz and Peanuts. So the nod in this one is that both Charlie Brown's father and Charles Schultz's dad were barbers. Oh, wow. So they had Max's dad be a barber as a nod to that. And then apparently also the final dance at the end, the way that set is decorated is supposed to look like a Charlie Brown Christmas, some point of that movie. Yeah. But those are my fun facts. That's what I got. Also, shout out to Seymour Cassell for playing the barber. He's just like... I love him so much. He's very good. It's weird because like he was in like a lot of like John Cassavetes' movies in the seventies, and so I have this image of him as this sort of hippie. So it's like it's weird to see him reimagined as this very like sweet and gentle father. Because I'm not used to that at all. But great here. Love oh, him. oh, one more. I have oh, one more. It's yeah. just come to me. Like a fun fact. Yeah, fun wow. fact. During the the first play that you see that Max is putting on, mm-hmm. it's the it's the 1973, I think. Uh, it's like the cop drama Serpico. Yeah, I love that. No, yeah, there's that, and then the finale is that. That's not like a direct movie. It's just like kind of an homage it's to like definitely Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, or something. it's supposed to look like Apocalypse Now. I think. <laughs> yeah, those they, were... he puts on a play that takes place during the Vietnam War, and they have like guns on stage yeah. firing blanks. It's very intense. No, those scenes are so funny. I kind of wish there was more of that humor. Just like this very absurd, but straight face. A lot of the stuff that's in Bottle Rocket. I wish there was like a slightly more of that because I really like that i agree i think mm-hmm. the humor uh, the humor in this one did not speak to me as much as it did yeah. in bottle rocket and then when yeah when it shows up you're like i wish there was a little bit more of that because it is pretty serious for the most part so i like i kind of wish anderson would just like pick pick a tone so we're not just feeling teased in a way True. yeah all right all right anything else no i think <laughs> that's about i think that's about what i've got should we do final thoughts and sure. wrap it up? Yeah. So I think my final thought with this movie is I don't think it's one of Wes Anderson's strongest works. I know it's been pretty critically acclaimed and is considered to be one of the best films of the 90s. And you could see that because it was unlike a lot of, you know, what else was being made at the time. And, you know, it was the first movie that Anderson really was able to show his stylistic flourishes. But I think in comparison to his overarching filmography... I don't know if it's his strongest effort, but I mean, it is worth a look if you're a fan of his. I think he would go on to improve himself, but definitely worth checking out just to, I don't know, just see what he was capable of early on. I agree. Yeah, I think this is definitely like an early moment where you can see him like kind of starting to evolve and kind of catch his stride, but he's not mm-hmm. quite there yet. You know, not not every character in this movie is somebody that you will identify with. At least I didn't. I think there's a, a number of performances that have like a lot of heart and you really see it, especially uh, Olivia Williams, yeah. especially her. And also Bill Murray is really funny and very good in this in this film. But yeah, I agree. You know, I, I also don't think that this is one of Anderson's strongest works. I don't think it's 
as funny as as it could have been. I don't think. Oh, maybe it's just the the kind of humor. I guess just didn't speak to me yeah. as much as I would have liked it to. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's worth checking out if you want to get into like Wes Anderson and like learn about his style and kind of see how somebody evolves as a director. What are your recommendations for this week, Aiden? So I had such a hard time coming up with recommendations. Yeah, me too. I mentioned Submarine earlier. I don't. It's been long enough since I've seen that that I'm not going to recommend it. I'm just going <laughs> to. I mean, I. I mean, I guess. Well, you know what? Okay, I will recommend oh, it. Wow, that's, I, I love the back I'll, and forth. I will recommend it. I recommend Submarine because. Alex Turner from Arctic Monkeys did the soundtrack, oh, and yeah, I'm in love with that man. <laughs> um, so, so watch that. I would also recommend because I was just thinking high school movies, trying to think like what the heck happens in high schools, and I kept coming back to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. I don't know why, because these movies are not similar, but uh, they both take place in high schools, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off is very funny. So yeah. you could watch that. I'm sure you've already seen that. And then lastly, because I was thinking of just kind of these conflicted protagonists who you don't really you don't always like them, even though they might be in really crappy situations or they might make bad decisions. I'm going to recommend the the 400 Blows. Oh, okay. French, French movie. About Still haven't seen that. Little kid, runs away from home. He makes some bad decisions, but <laughs> the world is also pretty bad to him. So yeah. <laughs> those are my recommendations. Yeah. So mine, I also struggled with what I wanted to do, because I feel like I kind of, we've talked about teen movies before, so I think I kind of recommended all the ones that I like a lot. So I kind of just went with, like, other good indie movies that Bill Murray is in. So um, just went with Obvious, Lost in Translation, which is a Sofia Coppola-directed movie, basically just about a man's midlife crisis and how he develops a friendship with a much younger woman and how it kind of helps change his life. I like that movie a lot more. I think it's one of my favorite movies, so... I think if you like think Bill Murray's really good in this, like you should check that out because this is along with this one is one of his stronger performances. And then I also went with I mentioned earlier Broken Flowers, which he's also in this movie having a midlife crisis, but it's caused by the fact that he discovers that he may or may not have a teenage son, and so you see him going kind of around the country, meeting all his like past girlfriends and stuff, and like trying to figure out which one. Because, like, it's not, like, revealed, like, who's the mom or anything. It's just, like, a kid kind of saying this. So that's really fun. It has a lot of fun performances from, like, all the girlfriends. Like, I think it's been a while since I've seen it. But, like, Jessica Lange's one and Tilda Swinton and Julie Delpy. Like, all these really great actresses show up there, too. So that's a good watch. Directed by Jim Jarmusch and has his signature deadpan style. So, yeah, those are two great movies. Check them out. All right. All right. Cool. Well, very Matthew McConaughey of you. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, if you would like to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, and on our website, uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Filmcast, and you can find us on our personal accounts at Aiden Walker or at Blake W. Peterson. If you want to write to us with a suggestion for a movie to watch or you just want to share your opinions on a movie we've already talked about or whatever, you can send us an email at cinemaadventurepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to follow along with us next week for West Wednesday, we're going to be talking about the Royal Tenenbaums. Thank you very much for listening. Have we'll a see you next day. time. Yeah, yeah, have a great day. See you later. Bye-bye. Ta-ta. <laughs>
wondered what junk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.